On this episode of Blue 58, Brian Gutekunst is continuing his quest to improve the Packers roster, leaving no stone unturned. We'll break down his latest trade, then take a look at the Packers' third preseason game before previewing who needs to step up in the final exhibition contest. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, joined today by my special guest, a backyard full of cicadas. You may be able to hear them a little bit in the recording, and I apologize for that. We had the same issue a couple weeks ago, and I tried to correct it. It ended up just sounding like the entire microphone was covered with a towel, so we're just going to kind of go through it. Just pretend like you are listening to this, like we're having a chat, sitting on my back deck, with a cool beverage in hand, just discussing the Packers a little bit. It's going to be a little bit of a one-sided conversation because I'm not going to be able to hear what you're saying back. But please, if you have any thoughts, just go ahead and share them. The universe will sort of just filter them along to me. I appreciate that. Uh, Interesting news over the weekend as we record this on a Sunday night for the very first time. The Packers are not done making roster moves, even as we are just days away from the final preseason game today, the news breaking that the Packers have traded promising cornerback Lindsey Pipkins for Indianapolis Colts linebacker Antonio Morrison. This is a straight player-for-player trade, no draft considerations involved here, and in fact, this is the first player-for-player trade that the Packers have made in quite some time. Uh, According to the research that I did at ProFootballReference.com, the first straight-up just one guy for another guy trade the Packers have made since 2009 when they shipped Tony Maul to Baltimore in exchange for safety Derek Martin. He would end up sticking around Green Bay for a couple of seasons. So this is not a, a common occurrence, but it shows you yet again that the Packers are are not afraid to pursue every avenue in trying to improve their roster. Four things, I think, to think about as we take a look at this particular trade. First, I get, like I said off the top here, interesting that the Packers have continued to work, explore every option they can to improve the roster before we arrive in the regular season, which is just over a week away, a week and a half or so. Um, The trade probably wouldn't have happened just a couple of years ago, Uh, not just because Ted Thompson was in charge and pretty much liked to set his roster at the start of training camp and just see what worked out over the course of camp, but because we were still back in the era of the 90, cutting down to 75, cutting down to 53 age. Uh, we don't have that middle cut there or that first cut there anymore. We just cut all the way from 90 to 53. But since we have more roster spots to go around now, there's more time to evaluate these guys that may be sort of fringe players. And make no mistake, I think Morrison is a fringe player. It's still very much a question whether or not he's going to make the 53-man roster and uh, what sort of role he will have to play if he does. But he's now in contention, and he's in contention mostly because of the way that rosters are constructed now because of what the rules are in terms of how many guys you can have around. Second thing, uh, like Lindsey Pipkins a lot, I think he was a, had a lot of potential. He probably could have played a role on the Packers this year, barring some other circumstances that led to this trade. I thought he was going to make it. Realistically, though, he's no higher than number five on the Packers cornerback back depth chart. You've got for sure, for sure, Kevin King, Tremont Williams, Jair Alexander, and uh, Josh Jackson ahead of him. That's just pretty much it. So even assuming that he was that high, the Packers just flipped a guy who was a probably underutilized, undervalued asset on their roster for a guy who may actually be able to help them at least 
theoretically. And I say theoretically because we really don't know what we're getting in, in Morrison beyond a, a few broad strokes. We know he's not a super great athlete, but he's better than his pro day numbers would lead you to believe. I'll explain exactly why here in a second. Secondly, this is a, this is a, a guy who's going to be a two-down sort of linebacker because of those physical limitations. Again, not due to his pro day. Talk about that in a second. Morrison is going to be Jake Ryan. This is a guy that's going to to come on the field on first and second down. He's going to be there to stop uh, stop the run, play hard, fast against the run, strong against bigger line ba- or linemen than maybe a guy like Oren Bur- Burks could be. But this isn't about replacing Oren Burks for a couple reasons. First, they do very different things because they're in different sort of athletic worlds. But secondly, we don't have to worry that much about Oren Burks because it sounds like he's pretty much going to be fine. Mike McCarthy speaking today didn't sound like he was overly worried about Oren Burks. So, roll aside, uh, there are still concerns about Morrison's athleticism. Legitimate, but maybe not as worrisome as appears initially. Um, A lot of people have pointed online to his pro day numbers not being super great. That is true. They weren't super great, but they were not super great for a reason. Let me read you the beginning portion of a story from the uh, Indy Star, Indianapolis Star, the hometown newspaper for the Indianapolis Colts, obviously, um, talking about Morrison after the, the Colts picked him in the fourth round a few years back. The Indianapolis next boomer bust prospect won over his future employers by running the 40-yard dash four days after a catheter was taken out of his chest. Before that, Antonio Morrison spent six weeks on antibiotics fighting off a staph infection that caused him to miss the NFL scouting combine. His doctors begged him to skip his pro day. Morrison shook his head. Quote, I've never not done something, he told them. I don't care what I run. So his time that day was not as good as it could have been, but that was never the point. That was never how he was going to win over Colts coach Chuck Pagano and general manager Ryan Grigson. With some players, the measurables never matter. Pagano and Grigson couldn't shake the feeling they had about the Florida linebacker who couldn't stand to miss his pro day. The kid whose tape popped with an on-field fury they rarely stumble across. So that's Antonio Morrison sort of in a nutshell. There are some concerns about some off-the-field stuff. Uh, he has been arrested at least once that I was able to find, maybe maybe a couple more times, but at least one of those entanglements with police was um, dubious at best. Bigger picture, 53-man roster, how do you evaluate this? I'm not really sure. Uh, with flexibility that comes with this roster situation being what it is aside, where do you put him? What do you what do you do with him? What is what can you really do with Antonio Morrison over the next couple of days here? Because really, he only has one day of practice or so before uh, this week's preseason game. Can you get him up to speed enough to get any kind of decent look at him in the preseason? I don't know. Kind of tend to think not. But obviously, the Packers have had some interest in him before. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made this trade. They've got to have some kind of idea what they're getting here. Second. What does this mean for guys like Ahmad Thomas and Greer Martini, two other guys conceivably in the linebacker picture? It's not outside the realm of, the po- of possibility that the backers would keep four inside linebacker types, but wouldn't put a whole lot of money on it if I was making a bet here. So what do you do with these two guys? 
If you're keeping one of the two, I would probably lean towards Ahmad Thomas. He seems a little bit more versatile, though Greer Martini does have some special teams value, and he's played there a lot, and he did make some good plays in Friday's game against the Oakland Raiders. But I don't think you can see this as much of a vote of confidence in either of those guys because if the Packers were convinced that either of them was the answer for what they needed, they probably wouldn't have made this trade. I don't think there's any real other way to read this. How do you how do you look at this and, and see, well, the Packers really feel pretty good about Thomas and Martini? I, I don't think you can. One of these guys is probably going to end up on the practice squad at least of these three, Mar- uh, Morrison, Martini, and um, and Thomas. I don't know if these next couple days are really going to be the super the, the deciding factor, but that's why I'm not a personnel guy, just a podcaster. Speaking of Packers and Raiders, congrats to all of you who stayed up late Friday night to watch that. I'm on East Coast time, so the game kicked off at 10.30 for me. Uh, being that I had to be up early the next morning, I kind of just took a look at it and thought, mm, you know what? How about just a little bit of Netflix? We'll turn off the phone and we'll wake up in the morning and find out what everybody's overreacting to. Surprise, surprise, not a whole lot to react to really at all. The three areas I was looking at the most heading into this game were uh, Deshaun Kaiser and Brett Hundley, the offensive line, and the rookie wide receivers. There really wasn't a whole lot to go over on either one of those points or on any of those points, unfortunately. But going back and watching the game again today, or for the first time today, um, in the quarterback situation, I think I would have to give a slight edge to Brett Hundley right now based on this game. Not so much because Hundley was great, but Kaiser was bad. Uh, he missed a couple throws late, um, made a couple questionable decisions, tried to force a couple throws that easily could have been picked off. It was just not a great outing for, for Kaiser. And I think... If I was the Packers, I would tend to be a lot more confident in Hundley based on this performance than than Kaiser. Maybe not a lot, but more confident in Hundley. He just seems to have a little bit better feel for things than Kaiser, although neither of them are very good at all when the offensive line starts to break down. And that's kind of a big, big issue for evaluating these guys in this game because what sort of look are you really getting at them when the offensive line is as bad as it was Friday night. Let's talk about the offensive line. Depth obviously has to be a huge red flag. A huge red flag with an asterisk. I've got an asterisk literally by offensive line in my notes um, about this game. All teams have red flags. There's your asterisk right there. It's not as though you're just going to construct this perfect monolith of a roster and have no weak spots. You're going to have weak spots somewhere. It's just the way the way things work. It's going to work out that you have a place on your roster that isn't as strong as you'd like it to be. The Patriots, for example, they can't find a wide receiver to save their life. They signed Kenny Britt and uh, Eric Decker this offseason. Both of them are gone. Decker's retiring. Uh, Britt was cut. They still need a better target, better targets in general, uh, other than Rob Gronkowski for Tom Brady. Also, you can probably weather the loss of one or even two linemen in a game or a week or over the course of a couple weeks. You can you can get by with that. So it's not as though the Packers are just going to be doing hockey substitutions and the first offensive line comes out and the second offensive line comes in and suddenly Aaron Rodgers is running for his life on every single play. That's not just not how it's going to work out. And I think we all understand that sort of intuitively, but that doesn't mean the concern 
over, I guess in order, Jason Spriggs, Kyle Murphy, and Byron Bell is going away anytime soon. Spriggs has a slight edge, I think, over Kyle Murphy in this particular game, but that also comes with an asterisk because it appears that Murphy was hurt at some point during the game. His ankle was taped up heavily after, I think it was the first drive or the first drive he was in on in the second quarter, and it remained so throughout the remainder of the game. So how much of his poor performance was due to injury? I don't know, but you can't have been super, super enthused about the things that he did just based on based on his performance. It was bad. It was not great. And it left Hundley and Kaiser running around when maybe perhaps they would rather not have. Obviously, they would rather not have. Finally, out of those three, I don't know what you do with Byron Bell. Um, He hasn't been great at tackle or guard. And he was brought in with a half million dollar signing bonus, kind of under the idea that you could play him at tackle or guard. I wouldn't feel super confident playing him either of those places right now with the added caveat that, of course, uh, he would be playing with four other starters, hopefully, on the offensive line if you did have to pencil him in. You can hide one guy on the offensive line a lot better than you can hide five guys. But if you're looking for a swing guard tackle guy, is Byron Bell that guy? I don't think so. I have a hard time really hanging my hat on him right now to step in at guard on either side or tackle on the right side. If that's what you need him to do, Adam Pankey is still around. And even and even Murphy and Spriggs have both played outside and inside a little, though not as extensively on the inside as Bell has. So I don't know what you do. They've got a conundrum here. It may not be as bad as some people are making it out to be, but it's a conundrum nonetheless. So Packers got to get that figured out. I would not be surprised if they signed somebody from outside the building uh, next weekend during final roster cutdowns. The rookie wide receivers, a couple a couple quick thoughts here. Uh, Jamon Moore looked a lot better. Uh, he's never lacking for confidence. Even in his down games, he you know pops right back up and goes back to work, although there, there was that one report about him being a bit down in the locker room after that uh, the game with the multiple drops. His last catch this past weekend was phenomenal. Uh, Kaiser put the ball between a corner and safety, um, and you'd, you'd like to, to see your quarterback avoid that if you can, but on the other hand, this is the NFL, and these are the kind of hits that happen, and Moore absolutely got lit up on the play, but he hung on, big gain for the Packers, and it's got to be some confidence for him, so that was good. Marquez Valdez-Scantling cannot return kicks. Um, He should not be returning kicks. He's too tall to be doing that. Um, And it's just, it it doesn't look pretty when he does it. He's so, he's built like a track star. So he's long and lean, and he's just not built to shake off a hit on a kick return while maintaining his speed. It just doesn't look natural for him. I understand the appeal of his speed, but it just is something that should probably not not be happening. We're still waiting on Equinemia St. Brown, waiting for a big play from him. Both of the uh, the other rookies seem to have had something resembling a big play, if you want to call that last co- catch against the Raiders, for more a big play. And I think he can. I don't think that's unfair. But, but Equinemia St. Brown really hasn't had a play like that. Uh, we know what 
Marquez Valdez-Scantling did in his 101-yard game against the Titans. That was great. But we really haven't seen something like that from St. Brown. Not a super big explosive play. He did have a nice catch and run against the Titans, but it just hasn't been uh, that slam dunk play. I think he still looks good out there, and I think what the Packers are doing with him in the slide is interesting. I'm just wondering if we're going to ever see a big breakout play um, from uh, St. Brown. Some sundry takes, uh, just a few things to talk about before we put this one to bed. Don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this particular game because that it's starting to get ugly at this point in the preseason. Uh, we're not seeing much of the, the starters anymore. If anything, it's all guys that are going to be out of a job here in less than a week. Well, about a week. A week from, I think it's yesterday, a week for a Saturday afternoons are when the cut down, cut downs happen. So, um, it's it's coming coming for these guys. Uh, a few quick takes. First, uh, first the field, um, the baseball diamond on the football field looks cool. It absolutely should not should not happen. Um, I don't know how you can be allowed to be the owner of an NFL franchise and require opposing teams to play you on a baseball field because if there's a, an infield on your football field, it's not a football field. You're just playing football on a baseball field. That feels like something that shouldn't have to be explained, but here we are, still pretending like this can be a thing in 2018. It shouldn't be a thing. You should be required to have an actual football field for your football team and your football team's opponents to play on. That doesn't seem super controversial. You should get that straightened out. You shouldn't have the risk of injury running from grass to dirt and back again just because your stupid owner can't figure out a stadium situation. I don't want to get into the stadium funding debate because it's ugly and silly and uh, bad on just about every front. But if you can't figure out how to get a stadium where your team can play on a football field for every home game that you have over the course of a given year, you probably shouldn't be an NFL owner. And as we've heard in the relatively recent past, Mark Davis is the most cash poor of the NFL owners. This is why the Packers ownership situation is so great. You never have to deal with being cash poor. If you manage your situation right, you don't ever have a a rich owner who doesn't, (laughs) a rich owner who can't afford things. Uh, It it seems like a contradiction in terms, but here we are. The Raiders are dealing with it. And uh, I don't think you should be forced to deal with that if you're an opposing team coming to an actual NFL stadium. Uh, Haha Clinton Dix is wearing an interesting helmet. He's got six attachment points for his chin strap. We saw that from Ahmad Thomas earlier in the preseason. Now it appears that Haha Clinton Dix is wearing it. That's pretty cool to see. Uh, Rashawn Melvin got cooked early a couple plays, which is interesting because he was one of the Packers, well, Packers internet's object of desire, objects of desire, During the free agency period, he was one of the guys the Packers couldn't do without, so the Packers absolutely had to sign him. Yet here he is in the first quarter getting worked by Geronimo Allison and Brett Hundley on consecutive plays, mind you. That was funny to see. Aaron Jones looks absolutely great, uh, looks explosive, looks like he'll be ready to go after he returns from his two-game suspension. And it's just interesting to see Jones, uh, when he's carrying the ball, it just looks different from Jamal Williams and Ty Montgomery. First, I guess he's going faster, so that's one thing. But he just seems to understand how the offensive line is going to work against the defensive line better than either of those two guys 
And uh, that is a huge feather in his cap. He just he looks so good running the ball, and it's easy to see why he works uh, works out so many more long runs than Williams or Montgomery. Finally, one last uniform take. Why no lowercase t for Equinemius St. Brown? Uh, having the capital T on ST period Brown just looks a little bit unnatural. It'd be cool to see the lowercase t. I don't know if that's something the Packers would ever work on there. Uh, but that's it for the, the third preseason game. Um, boy, that was a stinker of a game. I, I feel bad if you were on East or Central time and you stayed up pretty much all night to watch that. Um, and shout out to our our listeners overseas who are getting up at odd hours for every single game. We got a little bit of a taste of what it's like for you guys uh, this past week. So um, congrats. And I guess a Big shout out to you guys for being willing to put up with that week in and week out just to watch the Packers. While I've got you here, I wanted to take a look at two guys who could, I don't want to say lock up, but go a long way towards um, securing a roster spot with good performances this week. One on offense and one on defense. On defense, I'd like to talk about Josh Hawkins. Uh, He always seems to be around the ball, which is a good and a bad thing for a defensive back. Um... And more often than not, it it seems to be for good reasons. Yes, he seems to get thrown out a lot, but we know he's blazingly fast, uh, similar measurables in just about every respect to Sam Shields. And for as long as he's been around Green Bay, it seems like he should be ready to make something of a leap. Um, So if he can contribute in a significant way here in preseason game number four, with the departure of Lindsey Pipkins, he would have to be one of the odds-on favorites for that number five, number six cornerback job, assuming the Packers keep six cornerbacks, which, you know, you never know. Could be a down year. Maybe they only keep five. On offense, I think Lucas Patrick is maneuvering himself into a very strong situation here, taking more reps at center. He did a little bit of it in the game on Friday night, and that Boy, the more you can do, the more you increase your chances of of making the roster. And the Packers need versatile guys on the interior. They are showing they have a bit of a shortage of versatile linemen of every stripe right now. So if Patrick can play well in this final preseason game at center or at guard or wherever he plays, showing that he can contribute at center if need be in an absolute emergency, I think that goes a long way towards... uh, helping him lock down a roster spot. That's all I've got for you for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us, as you always do, on Facebook and on Twitter and on thepowersweep.com. Reach out via email uh, at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Support us if you'd be so kind by dropping in a dollar at patreon.com slash thepowersweep or by picking up a t-shirt from the fine retailers at teespring.com. Click on the store link at thepowersweep.com. Uh, if you would like to literally wear your support on your sleeve. The freest and easiest way to support the Power Sweep is by leaving a review on iTunes for Blue 58. Just search Blue 58 uh, in the podcast app. It's free, it's easy to do, and it helps more people find the show. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meering. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Blue 58.